Good evening, everyone. We want to welcome you to the February monthly meeting of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. We're very thankful that you're able to join with us, and we want you to know that we're very encouraged uh, that you're watching the broadcast with us uh, this evening. The opening hymn for the service, it's very appropriate. It's those words, my times are in thy hands, and my God, I wish them there. The words, of course, uh, will come up on the screens uh, before you, and as always, we do want to encourage you to join us uh, in the worship, uh, join together with us in the singing of the words of this hymn.
We're going to seek the Lord just together in prayer. We want to pray for the Lord to pour out the Spirit. Uh, we want to pray for the Lord's blessing, uh, just to rest mightily uh, upon the broadcast and especially upon the preaching of His Word uh, this evening. So we'll just bow together in prayer and seek the Lord's face. Heavenly Father, we do approach Thee in the Saviour's name. Thank You for the privilege that we have of being able to draw an eye to Thee in prayer. We ask at the outset of the meeting that You'll pour out Your Spirit upon us, pour out the Spirit of prayer upon us. Our desire, Father, is that You would lead us on in prayer. We're conscious of the importance of seeking Thee. Your Word says that You're the rewarder of them that diligently seek Thee. We ask Thee, Father, to come and guide us now. Thank You for all the great promises of guidance that are found in Your Word. You've told us that You'll teach us and instruct us in the way that we should go, that You'll guide us with Thine eye. And Lord, we want to pray that You'll guide us just now, guide us in prayer, guide us in the requests that we bring. Guide us, Father, through uh, this meeting in every part and every person that will take part uh, in the service uh, this evening. And Lord, guide us, each one, in the days that lie ahead in your will. Our prayer would be that you'll keep us in the very center of your will. We want to lift our hearts, Father, uh, to thee with praise and with worship. We remember that you're the one that daily loads us with benefits. We thank, Father, of all uh, the blessings that we receive uh, from your hand. We remember the words of the hymn writer, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So we do praise thee, Father, uh, for every blessing. Thank you for health and strength that you've granted to us uh, today. We do pray for those that are unwell, those that are ill, laid aside at this time. We want to pray, Father, for your strengthening and healing touch uh, to be upon each one. Grant them your grace, uh, even for these uh, difficult days of weakness and infirmity. We do praise thee, Father, for prayer answered uh, for our land and for this time of pandemic. We thank you, Father, for your intervention. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge uh, your grace that you've been pleased even to take and to remove the most serious effects uh, of this pandemic. We pray, Father, that that might continue. But, Lord, our prayer is that you will speak on uh, to the nations, especially those nations uh, that have forgotten God. We're saddened, Father, that our own nation has forgotten thee, turned its back upon thee, and turned its back upon thy word, even trampling on their foot uh, the law of God. Lord, we want to pray that you'll be gracious uh, to our land. We want to pray that you'll speak uh, to the leaders of our land and of our nation, uh, from our royal house even downward. Lord, we want to pray that you would uh, speak to our queen. We pray that it will be clear and evident uh, that she knows the Lord. We want to pray, Father, uh, for her whole family, that there might be a visitation of God upon that family, that you'll turn them uh, from their sins and turn them again even to the things of God, uh, to walk in the paths of righteousness. We pray, Father, the same for our government. We want to ask, uh, Father, for the intervention of God in our government. Righteousness exalteth 
a nation, but sin is a reproach uh, to any people and the sins of our leaders. And Father, the sins even of this land and this nation has made us a reproach uh, to the nations of the earth. Lord, we acknowledge that we need a visitation of God. We need thee to come down upon us. We need thee to come in great power and blessing. We want to thank you uh, today for the Bible. We praise thee for the word of God. We ask thee to deepen our love uh, for the scriptures. Give us a greater desire to read them, to meditate upon them. The blessed man of the first Psalm, his delight was in the law of the Lord. We pray that we might be such men and women. Lord, open the book of God to us. We thank you for this book that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you, Father, for the, the revelation of yourself that you've given to us. Thank you for the revelation even of end time events. Thank you for the prophetic scriptures. We thank you for the light that you've given to us in this dark end time day in which we're found. Lord, we ask thee to give us help in the study of those scriptures. Give us a greater desire to meditate upon them. Your word says uh, very clearly to us that we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the words of truth. And Lord, help us to rightly divide. Help us, Father, to clearly understand and expound uh, the scriptures of truth. To that end, we pray, help your servant, the Reverend Park, as he will minister your word this evening. May he be a man with the hand of God and the power of God uh, resting upon him. Pray that you'll guide him in all that he says, every word uh, that is used. We pray, Father, that the message and the study uh, this evening will be profitable. We pray, Father, it might be the means of leading some, even out of the air of the secret rapture, uh, into the clear uh, teaching uh, of the Word of God. We pray that you'll bless uh, very definitely uh, the message, Father, and every part uh, of this broadcast. And we do ask thee to remember the whole work and witness of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. We remember, Father, that it's your doing, that it's marvelous in our eyes how this work has been maintained uh, for so long, for over a hundred years, how you've provided for it. But, Lord, we acknowledge that we need wisdom. We need guidance. We ask thee to direct our paths. Pray that every step that we take will be a step that will be guided and ordered by God. But we pray you'll help uh, the, the committee in coming days. We pray that you'll bless them, uh, bless, Father, every decision. And we pray that this ministry will advance and that it will be strengthened mightily. It will be used even to stir up a greater interest in the truths of the Scripture relating to the second coming, the second advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, hear our prayers and abide with us now. And we pray that even in our homes, separated uh, by many miles, we want to ask, Father, that we'll all be conscious of the nearness of God and our hearts will burn within us while you talk with us by the way. We offer these our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to take the Word of God and to turn to the New Testament Scriptures, uh, the Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read together the opening section of that chapter of God's Word, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, beginning to read at the first verse. Um, we're reading together down to the end of uh, verse 12. So Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, the first verse. And let us hear 
uh, the Word of God. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So just ending a reading there, the close of the 12th verse, and we're sure and we pray earnestly the Lord will follow with his blessing this the public reading of his word. Just at this stage in the service, we want to make a few announcements. We take the opportunity again on behalf of the Committee of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony uh, to thank you all for listening to the broadcast uh, this evening. We want to take the opportunity as well to thank you for uh, listening so regularly and faithfully uh, to these broadcasts over the last two years. We've been very encouraged uh, by all that have been listening and by the feedback that we've received, the reports of how these uh, broadcasts have been uh, a blessing uh, to you. Can I highlight for you uh, our quarterly magazine, uh, The Watching and Waiting? Remember, it's just £5 uh, per year. This is the latest edition. Uh, January to March of 2022. We did highlight for you last month that it contains uh, the very profitable message on the testimony of Ezekiel uh, that the Reverend McClung brought at uh, the Spring Conference uh, last year. Uh, That uh, is uh, the main article in this edition of the magazine. We want to commend that to you. It also contains Mr. John Hunt Lynn's uh, survey of the prophecy of Habakkuk. Remember that Mr. Lynn was the first chairman 
of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony, and you'll find that survey of the prophecy of Habakkuk to be very profitable, a very profitable uh, study uh, indeed. Just to remind you that bound volumes of the Watching and Waiting magazine are available. Uh, This is the latest bound volume. It's volume 29. It covers the period of the magazines from 2017 until 2020. It's priced just £9, or there's a special offer where you can have any three of the bound volumes that are available uh, for £20. So that's a very good reduction, uh, basically a third uh, off. So do speak to the secretary if you're interested in a, a single volume or to avail of that special offer. We remind you just of our new publication, Dr. Sapphire's exposition of uh, Paul's letter to the Hebrew believers, uh, 18 pounds uh, for this excellent exposition. I remind you just there's a special offer uh, for ministers, pastors, uh, theological students. If you fall into that category, speak to Mr. Toms or myself and we'll be happy to let you know uh, the details uh, of that. But we would commend very strongly uh, Dr. Sapphire's uh, messages uh, on the book of Hebrews. There are some other uh, special offers at this time. There's a little leaflet that has been produced just to highlight them. Israel and the Nations, uh, the Hope of Christ's Second Coming, uh, the Champion for the Truth, and the, the booklet 1,000 Bible Questions. Those are uh, five pounds each, or you can again have the special offer of all of them for uh, 15 pounds. So there's a 25% uh, reduction. So we commend that special offer to you uh, again. Uh, contact Mr. Toms if you're interested in any of uh, our publications. And remember to look at our website, www.sgat.org. There is a store section there where you can see the most of the publications that uh, we have available and you're actually able to order uh, online uh, as well. Just to highlight that the next meeting will be on Friday the 25th of March at 7 p.m. in the evening. Uh, The preacher that evening will be the Reverend Philip Knowles, uh, the newly uh, ordained and installed minister of the Free Presbyterian Church in Walthamstow in London. Do you remember our brother and his ministry there? We encourage you uh, to go along and support him if you live in uh, the greater London area. Our brother's subject next month in this special series of where we are in God's calendar, his subject will be the times of the Gentiles and how important that uh, subject is. We are expecting uh, the meeting next month to be in the New Life uh, Bible Presbyterian Church, uh, back in the New Life Bible Presbyterian Church there in Salisbury Road in London. We're encouraged uh, by that development that the meetings again can take place in person. If you can, we encourage you to attend the meeting, uh, to go along and give your support uh, to it. We do thank you again sincerely for listening uh, to these broadcasts uh, over these now almost uh, two years. We've been thankful for the technology that has enabled the meetings to go on in this manner and has enabled many other people uh, to join with us in the meetings. We've been encouraged by the blessing 
that they've been to, to you and to, to so many others. We would like to be able to broadcast uh, the meetings live, uh, those meetings, the monthly meetings in London. So pray with us that the Lord will guide in that matter and will help us so that that will be able uh, to take place. Just by way of Chairman's remarks, I'd like to direct you for a few minutes to Ezekiel chapter 38 and the verse 2. Let me just read that verse to you. Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. You will know that Russia is much in the news in these days in which we live. That has been the case now for a few weeks. Even as we meet to do this part of the recording, the news has broken this morning of Russia starting their invasion of the Ukraine. The question that arises as a result of that prominence to Russia on the world scene and the prominence to Russia in the news in these days, the question is, is Russia in the prophetic scriptures? At the very outset, we want to answer that question by saying no uh, very, very clearly uh, to you today. The idea that Russia is found in the prophetic scriptures is based on a misinterpretation of this verse of scripture uh, that is before us. The word chief in the verse, when it talks about the chief prince of Meshach, the Hebrew word there for chief is the word rosh. So what those who are proponents of that idea, what they will say is, Rosh sounds like Russia. So this must be a reference to Russia in the Word of God, a reference to Russia in the prophetic scriptures. Let me emphasize to you, men and women, that's a very dangerous way to interpret the Bible. If you're just going to use a word that sounds like a word in the scriptures, then you can make the Bible teach anything. You can really make it teach just whatever you want. And then those who support and teach the idea that this verse is a reference to Russia, they take another leap. And because they say that Rosh sounds like Russia, they also then add to that that Meshach and Tubal, that sounds like Moscow and Tbilisk, two of the main cities, the capital city, of Russia and another one of its very prominent cities. Meshach really doesn't sound anything like Moscow, no matter how hard they try to convince you uh, of that. Just to highlight that the word Rosh means chief or head. It's used in that way over 500 times in the scriptures. The first usage of the word in the Bible is in connection with the river that went out of Eden. The Bible says that it parted into four heads. The word there again is rush. The first usage of this word in the book of Ezekiel, and that's especially relevant when you think of uh, Ezekiel chapter 38. So the first usage of the word in the book of Ezekiel is in chapter 1 in, with regard to the, the living creatures. Verse 22 of that chapter says, it, it speaks about the heads of the living creatures. So the word heads there again is rush. Now, if it means Russia, in order to be consistent in your interpretation of the Scripture, 
The idea that the Bible would be setting forth there is that the river that went out of Egypt parted into four Russians, and the living creatures in Ezekiel chapter 1, that they had four Russians instead of four heads. So really, you don't need me to tell you that that's just nonsense. That's the setting forth of nonsense. It's not a teaching a Bible truth in any shape or fashion. That is not, men and women, an established principle of Bible interpretation. So be in no doubt about it. This passage does not speak about Russia. Remember that the nations that the Bible speaks of as being involved in events at the time of the end, those nations were all part of the four kingdoms spoken of in Daniel chapter 2. And Russia is not included in, in those four kingdoms or the parts of the world that were included in those four kingdoms. It is true to say that Russia may influence the ten kingdoms of the Roman earth at the time of the end. And Mr. Newton gives a very good and excellent summary of that fact of how Russia may influence the ten kingdoms and some of the things that will take place within the ten kingdoms. But I want to be clear about it. Russia is not included in the prophetic nations and it's not included in uh, the prophetic scriptures. Can I point out that the name Russia doesn't come from a Hebrew word? It comes from a Norse word, meaning the men who rule. Over a thousand years ago, men from the Scandinavian region of the earth, they rowed their boats from the Scandinavian region to that region of the world where Russia and its satellite states, including Ukraine is, and they were named after the men that rowed, the oarsmen, because they were seafaring people. That's where the the word Russia, the name Russia, comes from, not from a Hebrew uh, word. It's important to understand, just as I finish, that the reference to Gog and Magog here in Ezekiel 38 and 39, and the reference to Gog and Magog in Revelation 20, They refer to different times, and they refer to different events. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is referring to events at the start of the millennium, or just before, depending on your view of the events and when they will take place. But Revelation chapter 20 refers to the end, the very end of the millennium, the very end of the the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth. So there are two entirely different Uh, times, and it's important to see that and to understand that. So time is limited to us today in in the chairman's remarks that we give, but we just want to make clear to you, to help you in these days in which we're found, that this passage, uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, Revelation chapter 20, these, these are not references to Russia. Russia is not included in the prophetic scriptures. The speaker at the meeting this evening is the Reverend David Park, who is the minister of Hebron Free Presbyterian Church in Balamoni in Northern Ireland. Uh, The Reverend Park has been a regular speaker uh, at these monthly meetings uh, for many years. He's a man that has many responsibilities, 
in his church there in Balamone, and especially in the missionary work of the Free Presbyterian Church. And we appreciate him taking the time to prepare and to record uh, this message for us uh, this evening. Uh, We thank his media team as well uh, for the help that they have given. The subject this evening that Mr. Park will speak upon is, Can the Lord Jesus Come at Any Moment? That's a very relevant and a very vital question. Just to highlight two publications in keeping with the message uh, this evening, the theme that our brother uh, will speak upon. One is reasons why the Great Tribulation must precede the church's translation. This is a message that was preached by Pastor James Kyle Paisley, uh, Dr. Ian Paisley's father. Uh, Pastor Paisley uh, was a regular speaker for the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. He preached this message at a Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony conference in Highgate Road Chapel, London, in 1947. So that will be uh, uh, 75 years ago this coming uh, April. It's a very relevant message, a very important one still. Uh, To this day, the Reverend Park will make reference to Pastor Paisley's message in his uh, preaching tonight, in the message uh, that he will bring. So we want to highlight that to you. The other publication is entitled Tribulation or Rapture, which, asking that question, this is a message preached by Dr. Oswald J. Smith, who was the very noted, internationally known uh, pastor uh, of the People's Church in Toronto in Canada. In this message, uh, Dr. Smith tells his own story. He tells the story of how, from a study of the Word of God, a careful study of the Scriptures, he came to understand that what is known today as the sacred rapture was a mistake. He also emphasizes in this message a number of books that he studied that were of great help and gave him a great light as far as that subject was concerned. Uh, a number of those books, sadly, that are uh, unavailable today are very hard to come by uh, today. So we want to highlight both of these publications to you. They're priced just 20 pence each, plus postage. They are available uh, from the SJT bookstore. Um, we encourage you to contact the secretary uh, to order a copy for yourself and a few copies for others of your friends uh, that you think could benefit from the reading and the study of them. Just before the Reverend Parr comes to bring his message, uh, we're going to sing together again. It's the words of the hymn, Take the world, uh, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. So let's sing together as we praise the Lord.
glad to be able to preach again for the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. Very sorry that we can't be with you in person. want to thank the Reverend McMillan for leading the opening part, for reading the Scriptures, and for leading us to the throne of grace in prayer. It is our earnest desire that we have the Lord's help and that we are blessed together as we seek the Lord in His Word. We're going to bow together just for a moment's prayer to commit our way unto the Lord in the preaching of the Word. Almighty God and gracious Father, we bow with humility and in reverence before the throne of heavenly grace. As we come to your Word, we seek your blessing upon our Bible study. As we take up the subject that is before us, we pray that the Lord himself will draw near, that we will know the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is the great teacher, that you will stand beside this preacher and bless all who are able to tune in to the message tonight. May we be blessed indeed. These things we pray in Jesus' worthy and all precious name. Amen. The subject that I have been given to deal with tonight, the question rather, is can the Lord Jesus come at any moment? And I will be confining my remarks mainly to the passage of Scripture that has been read this evening from Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and also words of the Savior in Matthew chapter 24. I want to take for my text the words of Paul to the church at Thessalonica in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. That day shall not come except. I just want to pause there for a moment and show you clearly that the Lord is teaching here in His Word that the day of Christ, that is the day referred to in verse 2, shall not come except certain things come to pass. In other words, there are prophecies to be fulfilled before the second advent of Christ. That day cannot come until God fulfills His Word. It is as clear and as simple as that. The great apostle in this chapter is highlighting the return of Christ to this world. He is bringing to mind this mighty event as he fears that the people of God belonging to the Thessalonian church and elsewhere might be disturbed in their mind and heart. There is a teaching which has been around for many decades, which asserts an any moment rapture, that Jesus could come at any moment. Sometimes it is referred to as the secret rapture. Of course, there's no such thing as a rapture, a catching away of the saints that is going to happen in secrecy. It is one of the noisiest events that will ever take place. The Lord shouting, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God sounding as Paul told these Christians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Nothing secret in the fact that every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. Revelation 1 verse 7. He's coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Luke chapter 21 verse 27. 
and he is coming, as the angels proclaimed to the disciples on Mount Olivet in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. A most visible sight indeed. It is one of the most visible, audible, vocal, and noisy happenings ever. So it is neither secret or at any moment. There are things which must needs come to pass according to the authority of God's precious Word. Jesus is coming, and we shall be gathered unto Him. A future glorious day to look forward to, as we read in the opening verse. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. But the Thessalonians were not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, as we read here in verse 2. It seems that some of the believers in this church had misunderstood the meaning of what Paul had written in his former epistle about the coming of Christ, by thinking that it was near at hand, that Christ was ready to appear and come in judgment, or maybe it was some words that he or someone else had spoken which led them to the wrong conclusion. Paul wants to address this matter, make things clear, tell them plainly that the Lord's coming was not about to happen, not until certain things took place first, as we shall see. Paul never taught that Christ's return was at hand in his lifetime, was soon to occur, could happen at any moment. The apostle then gives this warning in the opening part of verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. One of the great characteristics of the end time is that of deception. The latter days will be characterized by such. We think of the words of Christ in Matthew 24 as he outlines the spirit of the age in which he will come. When the disciples departed from the temple with their Lord and Master, and Jesus said, there shall not be left one stone upon another, they immediately ask, tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Do you remember how Jesus began to answer their inquiry in what is one of the greatest sermons that he ever preached? The first thing Jesus said was this, take heed that no man deceive you. And then he proceeded to develop the thought as he informed these men that many shall be deceived, many false prophets would arise and deceive many, there would be false Christs and false prophets who would perform such acts of miracle that if it were possible, the very elect of God would be deceived. So strong delusion belongs to the end times. And even here, all these centuries ago, Paul is concerned about these Thessalonians, and undoubtedly the church in every age as he warns them, let no man deceive you by any means. 
Notice what Paul has particularly in mind as he issues this warning. It is given in the light of Christ's coming again. That day shall not come, says Paul, except. You want to mark that word? You want to learn from this passage of inspired and infallible truth? That day shall not come except. And Paul details some of those things that must happen before our Lord's personal return. In answer to the question that I must answer, can the Lord Jesus come at any moment? I have to tell you on the authority of God's Word that the answer is no. He can't come at any moment, not until His Word is fulfilled, until the prophetic Scriptures come to pass. And I want to set before you some of those things which must needs happen before Jesus will return to this earth again. By way of general comment, before looking at what the Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonians, I want to take you back to the the Sermon of Christ that I've mentioned from Matthew 24 and 25. There are some general characteristics which belong to the last days, that period of time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of our Savior. Things that have been happening in the world through the centuries, and I believe will increase in frequency and intensity as we approach the great day of the Lord's coming again. All these things are timely reminders to all men that Jesus is coming again. I refer to the days of deception that we've mentioned, and these certainly are days of deception in which we're living. I think of the wars and the rumors of wars, the nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and this is prevalent in the very days in which we're living when we think of all that's happening over there in Russia and Ukraine and the threat of war through the nations of the world. We think of famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. And if I was to single out one of the three, it would be that center one. We think of pestilences. We think of the pestilence that has afflicted this nation and all the nations of the world over the past two years, even that of COVID-19. We think of troubled times for the Lord's dear people. For the Savior speaks of affliction, hatred, betrayal, and lukewarmness in the hearts of his own people. Despite all this, the Great Commission will be carried out. For the Savior tells us that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. These are the general features of the end time, according to Christ. We can expect to witness these things throughout the world. Peter adds to the list when he writes about scoffers walking after their own lusts and mocking and despising the reality of Christ's coming as they scornfully ask, where is the promise of His coming? From New Testament days on down through the centuries of time, we have observed all these things. They have been happening in every century of the last days and seem more prevalent today than ever. 
We have seen and we have heard of these things for ourselves. But then we have the specifics. We move from the general characteristics to the specific characteristics of the end times. These very prominent details which outline those things which must happen before Jesus returns. Things which have not happened as yet, certainly not in the fullest and in the completest sense. Now, what are they? Well, first of all, the magnification of affliction. And I'm referring here to the great tribulation. Let me linger for a few minutes in Matthew chapter 24, where the Lord is answering the disciples' question, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of my coming and of the end of the world? After outlining the general features of the last days, he then makes this statement, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Undoubtedly, there have been periods of great tribulation in the world. We could speak about A.D. 70, when the Roman general Titus marched against the city of Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The mighty Roman army captured and destroyed the city and its temple. The siege lasted for about five months and ended with the burning of the temple. Most who were slain were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed. They were bunched where they were caught. The heaps of corpses mounted higher and higher about the altar. A stream of blood flowed down the temple steps, we are told. The history is one of the most horrific on record. The details are gruesome and appalling. The Jewish historian Josephus estimates that about 1.1 million people were killed during the siege, and all who survived became prisoners of Rome. After the Romans killed those who were armed and the elderly, 97,000 were enslaved, thousands of them forced to become gladiators who eventually died in the arena. We could certainly write across this period of history, great tribulation, and other records of similar accounts through the centuries. But it is not the great tribulation which Christ refers to in Matthew chapter 24. For our Savior goes on to say, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When shall Jesus come again? Tell us, said the disciples. What shall be the sign of thy coming? And Jesus answers. Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. You want to mark those words. Immediately after. Not before. 
not during, but after, immediately after, the Son of Man shall come. It means exactly what it says. I put it to you that Jesus cannot come until the great tribulation has ended. The tribulation precedes the coming of Christ. There is a very informative little pamphlet published by the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony, Reasons Why the Great Tribulation Must Precede the Church's Translation by J. Kyle Paisley. I recommend it to you for your reading. I can remember reading it many years ago, and I found it very helpful. Mr. Paisley was for many years a believer in the any-moment rapture of the saints. But as he came with an honest heart to the study of the Scriptures, by the help of the Holy Spirit, he was taught to see otherwise. The words of Christ in Matthew 24, particularly verse 29 to 31, were particularly helpful to him as he pondered the declaration of Christ immediately after he was convinced that the tribulation must precede the coming of the Lord for his church. That was made unmistakably clear to him. He remembers standing up in much weakness and trembling in the gospel tabernacle where he preached and and telling the congregation what he believed the Lord had taught him by the Holy Spirit concerning the coming of Christ. He said, I do not want you to receive this truth because I say it, but search the Scriptures and set aside all preconceived ideas about the coming, about the Lord's coming, and get to the Word. There is not sounder advice than this. I say to you, get to the Word. See what the Lord teaches clearly, unmistakably, and irrefutably. The majority of the congregation in the Gospel Tabernacle, having taken his advice and searching the Scriptures for themselves, came to accept this truth concerning the Lord's return. These words of Christ in Matthew 24 have been particularly instructive to me also. In my teenage years, I, I grew up through school with Scripture Union leaders who were of a dispensational persuasion. We watched a film called The Rapture that promoted the any-moment theory. And so, in a sense, I knew no better. Not until I began to seriously read and study the Word of God for myself. The words of Christ were indisputably clear in this matter. You could not get it put in more precise terms. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, says our Savior. Jesus speaks of how the trumpet will sound. He will send His angels to gather His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. The sounding of the trumpet at the coming of Christ obviously corresponds to the trump of God in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, and the last trump in 1 Corinthians 15 and 52, and the seventh trumpet 
of Revelation 11, verse 15, when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And there's no tribulation after the sounding of this trumpet. I want you to see that. Let me say in the second place, something else that must take place before Jesus comes again, and that is the exposition of the gospel. I just want to put this little thought in here for your learning and your encouragement. We have mentioned already what the Lord said about this in Matthew 24 and verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then, and then shall the end come. I say that I mention this for our encouragement, especially as we engage ourselves in the work of the Great Commission, going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. We have a vital role in the propagation of the gospel to the nations of the world. In fact, the Lord says, all the world and all nations. (coughs) We thank God for the, the work of missions through the centuries of time. We think of the David Livingstones, the William Careys, the Hudson Taylors, (coughs) and the C.T. Studs, just to mention a few of the great missionary heroes. We are still sending out our missionaries from gospel-preaching lands to proclaim Christ, the good news. (coughs) Pardon me. I'll just take a little drink here. the good news, the glad tidings to a perishing world. We begin in our Jerusalem as as the pattern is, and then we move as far as we can through the world to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that might be for us Nepal. I can remember speaking many years ago to Dr. John Douglas. We had an interview together about the Whitfield College of the Bible And he was just rejoicing in the missionary aspect of the college and how, as a little denomination, we've gone into the world to preach the gospel. And he thought about the Himalayas and away up there in the summit of those mountains, how the gospel is being carried to the furthest ends of the earth. I come from a relatively small denomination. We are such a minute fraction of the overall body of Christ in this vast world, just 60 churches or so here in Northern Ireland and a few elsewhere. And yet God has given to us the the privilege and the honor to reach out across this earth to many nations of the world with the glorious gospel. We have sent missionaries to Europe, especially to the land of Spain. We have gone to several African countries We think of Kenya, Uganda, Liberia, and other lands beside bringing the message of a crucified Savior. We have reached out into the huge continent of Asia with its 4.7 billion of a population. And we think of India, Nepal, Pakistan, and the Philippines. By the grace of God, we have gone to South America, North America, 
Australia, and into Eastern Europe too, in our endeavor to gather unto Christ the innumerable multitude from the nations of the world of which the Bible speaks. Then I think of the numerous others who are endeavoring to fulfill the Great Commission, churches who are faithful to Christ, missionary organizations, Bible societies, publishers, like the Every Home Crusade, sending out tons and tons of gospel literature every week. And they're sending out missionaries, these societies. They're supporting personnel in their own countries. They are preaching the glorious gospel over the airwaves in radio ministry. They are shipping out their literature to other countries, all in the effort to see to it that the gospel is preached in the world. We're thankful to the Lord also for modern technology, which greatly assists in the propagation of Christ to the nations of the world. Over the past couple of years, the gospel has been greatly hindered in a human aspect with with COVID-19 that has swept across this world. We haven't been able to reach out the way that we would love to reach out in normal circumstances. There were weeks when our churches were closed. There were many times when great restrictions were placed upon us, and yet, amidst all the dark side of what COVID-19 brought, there were positive and wonderful things that happened in the service of the Lord, and not least the opening up of the internet for the preaching of the Word. And this enabled us over the past little while to reach out into countries like Pakistan. There's hardly a week that goes by, but I am preaching, and others too, in Pakistan every week and presenting the gospel to the tribal desert people, to the Hindu people, and some of the Muslims as well, as they listen to the Word of God preached. And so we take heart from Christ's words here in Matthew 24 and elsewhere, knowing that this is His mission. This is the mind of God to reach the nations. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations before Jesus comes and the end of this world takes place as we know it. We are commanded to make disciples of all the kindreds, tongues, and peoples, and nations of the world. We think of passages like Matthew 28 and verse 19, and Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Christ has given to us the Holy Spirit and His power to that end. Acts 1 and 8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. He has guaranteed to be with us right until the end of the world. Matthew 28 and verse 20. And when this great task of preaching the gospel to the nations is fulfilled, Jesus says, then will the end come. That is, He will come. I cannot personally define exactly when this work will be completed, when the mind and the will of God in this matter will be fulfilled, that the gospel will be preached in all the world, 
unto all nations. But I don't think that that has been fully fulfilled as yet. It's not finished. There are still nations to be reached. There are still multitudes that need to hear. There are tribes that need to be enlightened. That is my firm conviction. And praise God, this I do know, when the nations are reached in accordance with the divine mind, Jesus is coming. I might say just now at this stage that there is a precise moment. There is a specific day set aside in the divine calendar of the Almighty for the return of Christ. So even when, so even with this in mind, it is not true to say that Jesus will come at any day or at any moment. I believe the apostles and Christ both taught and lived as those who expected a significant delay in the Savior's return, not coming, as some suggest, at any moment, but at a definite moment, ordained in the counsels of God from all eternity. Something more that must needs take place before Jesus comes again. And that is, thirdly, the escalation of apostasy. And now we come back to our reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. The word here in the Greek is apostia, which we get our English word apostasy from. The term denotes falling away. It's a falling away from truth from true faith itself. It's that time which Paul wrote to Timothy about in 2 Timothy 4, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. It might very well be argued that that time is now upon us, now in this 21st century in which we live, we see it all around us, right across the world. Such proneness to apostasy has been about since the beginning of days. It has undoubtedly escalated in these latter days. And as I see it, rising to a climax in our generation, we think of men without a message. Churches that were once built for the preaching of the gospel. Many have false shepherds. Indeed, many of these churches are closed altogether. We think of the spread of false doctrine on every hand. It is a falling away from the faith, from the truths of the Bible, replacing the foundational doctrines of divine revelation with man-made doctrines which distort and twist the Scriptures to fit the beliefs of false teachers and prophets of the modern age. Expect it. It's going to happen. The Lord declares it in His Word. It is worldwide. But we think of our own little country, this nation 
was once great for God. We live in a land of reformation and revival, so blessed with gospel truth, with preachers, with reformers, with theologians, Bible expositors, men who knew God and His Word. This is the nation of the Cranmers and the Ridleys, the Whitfields and the Wesleys, the Newtons and the Spurgeons. But alas, the light of the gospel has almost gone out. Our nation is more heathen than it is Christian now. Yes, the great falling away is widespread. And this is going to increase as we near our king's return. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. In fact, the definite article is in the original. It is the falling away. The definite article makes it even more significant. It's not just a falling away. It is the falling away, the final and the great apostasy that ushers in the rise of the Antichrist. Incidentally, the passage in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3 was also particularly helpful to Mr. Paisley in bringing him to a clear understanding that that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Mr. Paisley had used this very text when preaching on the any moment coming of the Lord He remembers quoting it and immediately being arrested in the middle of his message that what he was preaching was not in accordance to the Scripture. What else will happen before Jesus comes again? Well, let me say in the fourth place, there will be the revelation of the Antichrist. Look further at our text in verse 3. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away First, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And verse 4, who opposeth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And I would refer you also to verse 8 through to verse 10. Here's a very clear reference to the Antichrist who shall arise, who shall be revealed. The day of Christ shall not come except Antichrist is revealed. There is a man, an individual, who will rise to great prominence in the very last days. The whole power of Satan will be behind this man to elevate him in the world. He will have the ability to work miracles as he comes with all power and signs and lying wonders. His deception will be strong. He will deceive not just a few hundred of people, not even several thousands, but the teeming multitudes of this world, hundreds and hundreds of millions throughout the earth. Indeed, the whole world of unregenerated men and women will wander after him. This Antichrist will be revealed before Jesus comes. He will rise out of the great apostasy of the last days. 
Just a few more little thoughts about what is to take place before Jesus comes again. Can I say in the fifth place, there, there is the construction of the temple. The temple will be rebuilt. <coughs> as Israel is gathered, Zion will be established. And as Zion is established, the temple will be built. Malachi promised that in the last days, the Lord would come suddenly to his temple. In Malachi 3 verse 1. The next couple of points that I make will also emphasize the fact that the temple is there in the city of Jerusalem in those days leading up to when Jesus comes again. The temple, therefore, must be rebuilt. In the sixth place, there is the erection of the abomination of desolation. I refer to Matthew 24 and verse 15 through to verse 20. In these verses, Jesus Christ describes a gross form of idolatry standing in the holy place. And there's only one true meaning of the holy place, and that is with reference to the temple. And thus, for that to ha happen, the temple has to be rebuilt. In the seventh place, there will be the manifestation of the two witnesses. Think of Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3 through to verse 5. This passage is connected to Matthew. Once again, the temple is mentioned. Some try to identify the temple as being symbolic of the church. We know that Paul described the church as a temple in Ephesians 2, verse 19 through to verse 21. Peter likewise described the church under this analogy in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. However, if this temple in Revelation 11 is a symbolic representation of the church, why should it be measured? Because it's going to be measured. What is the significance of the courts and the altar? And who are the worshipers that are present there to worship? It seems to me that such detail cannot refer to the church, but rather to a physical temple on the earth in fulfillment to what Daniel and Jesus and Paul said regarding the abomination of desolation that would be set up when Antichrist defiles the temple by setting up something abominable there. It is in this background that the two witnesses are introduced who will preach the Word of God and have the power of God resting upon them to work miracles. And then one final little thought in verse 8, and that is, or in the eighth place, the execution of the trumpet judgments. Revelation chapter 1, the opening three verses. These opening verses introduce us to the, the opening of the seventh seal, which brings us to, behold, the seven angels with the seven trumpets. And they usher in the judgments which fall upon the earth. The descriptions span over four chapters of this book, from chapter 8 through to chapter 11. It's not until the sounding of the seventh trumpet that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And this is when Jesus comes to reign. 
And so these things must needs come to pass before our Savior's return. Once again, demonstrating the impossibility of the Lord coming at any moment. So as I conclude, let me exhort you to take heed. Take heed that no man deceive you. Keep close to Christ and his word. Seek by the grace of God to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Indeed, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And my friends, live in the light of the coming Savior with eternity's values in view. May God be pleased to bless his word and this study to your heart and mind for Jesus' sake. Let us pray. Our gracious God and eternal Father in heaven, we give thanks for your word and this little study that we've been engaged in this evening. We pray that as it is broadcast on Friday evening that the blessing of God will be upon it. We pray that men will learn. We pray that they will be encouraged, that they will be strengthened in their faith. How we bless thee this night that Jesus is coming again, but not until his word be fulfilled. Help us to understand these things. Help us, Lord, to believe these things. And help us to live in the light of these glorious truths for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen. Thank you. We want to take the opportunity to thank uh, Mr. Park for the message that he has brought to us uh, this evening. We want him to know that we appreciate his ministry uh, very much indeed. We're thankful for all that he said to us, uh, all that he's shown to us, the help that we have received, uh, all that has been revealed to us uh, this evening from uh, the Scriptures. We want to encourage you to make uh, the message known. Remember that these broadcasts uh, are posted uh, up on the internet. Uh, you'll find them on Facebook, uh, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. So we want to encourage you to share them uh, with others this message this evening. It is very, very relevant. There's a lot of misunderstanding in church circles with regard uh, to this subject. So it's important that as many people as possible uh, hear the message that our brother has uh, brought uh, this evening. Our closing hymn is the words of the hymn. It's very relevant. The Lord is coming by and by. Be ready when he comes. So our closing hymn, and we want to invite you to join with us as we sing these words uh, to the Lord's praise.
Let's just bow together in a closing word of prayer as we pray the Lord's blessing upon all that has uh, taken place this evening. Pray that he'll continue to speak through his word and give help to many others as they hear the message that, that the Lord's servant brought. Father, we seek thee in prayer. Uh, thank you for help given right throughout uh, the service, right throughout the broadcast. Uh, we thank all that have been involved in these broadcasts. We want to pray, Father, that you'll take your word, especially this evening. Our prayer is that many will hear uh, this message and will profit from it. We pray it will lead them into a clearer, a fuller understanding of uh, the Scriptures, especially on this uh, vital subject. We ask thee, Father, that even the literature will go forth. We pray for a greater interest in the literature. Uh, we ask, Father, that many will be drawn uh, to read the Scriptures and to study uh, these subjects more fully and, for, and more deeply. We pray, Father, for your continued blessing upon the ministry of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. Our prayer is, Father, lead it on from strength uh, to strength. We pray for a greater interest, uh, Father, throughout the churches, even that uh, some of the ministers would be invited to preach in other churches upon these themes and upon these vital subjects for the days in which we live. Lord, remember the meetings as they return in your will to the New Life Bible Presbyterian Church there in London uh, next month. We pray from the very first meeting that you'll show tokens for good, that you'll bring others along. And Lord, do give help and wisdom. Do give guidance. We pray for the provision so that uh, those meetings month by month might be enabled uh, to be broadcast live. So hear our cries. Be with us each one. Part us now in thy fear and with thy favor. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all, for Jesus' sake. Amen.